I want to invite you to join a global community, just like our Vice President Ty said, a global community that brings hope and life-giving light. And it's the light of the gospel through an intimate relationship with you as well as one another as a community that is a cause community that brings hope, that brings light, but also brings joy to children all over the world. And in this case, I'm inviting you to join what we are doing with other churches in India, in the Delhi area. And in fact, we kind of know that it's a little bit of scripture that talks about that. And let me read that to you. It's found in Mark chapter 10. It says, now people were bringing little children to Yeshua, Jesus, so he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he got angry. He told them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen. I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he began blessing them, laying hands on them. That's what you get to do. By bringing a child into your life, you get to pray for them. You get to help them. You get to even visit them. You can do projects. I love it when, when the youth can sponsor kids. They may not have the $39 a month, but maybe their parents want to give that to them for a birthday gift. As long as you do connect with them, write them, encourage them, pour life into them. Because what does encourage mean? It means that you get to give courage to them so they can change their culture as you are changing your culture here. You can be world changers through one child. That's all it takes. One person to one child with a smile, with a sense of joy to bring hope. That's the journey. It is a transformational journey into a global community that is God's kingdom. I want to invite you to do that today. $39? What is that? That's a pizza at Walker's. That's, uh, that's two dinners or two lunches over today over at uh, Panera Bread. That might be five lattes this month at uh, the Forge. I don't know how you, what you put in your latte, but I, that's why I get a black cup of coffee. I don't want to pay that much. It's my Scottish heart that prevents me from doing that. But I want to tell you, you have Jesus' heart. You have God living in you. So your heart's big enough for at least one child today that then collects with everyone here and transforms their lives and transforms the lives not only of those there, but of your life too. I know Pastor Scott, his passion is for God's kingdom. And this is part of your kingdom here because it's God's kingdom. And that release of generosity, what that does, that brings life. If you want to click on that, or you can hear exactly what Scott's going to do and ask you to do in a few moments. So thank you for giving us time today and the joy of the salvation we share in Jesus and that I get to worship with all of you. I've got to do it twice. So thank you, as well as my bride and my team member, Farron. Farron, we'll be right out there afterwards, too. But we want to worship with you also in the word. Pastor Scott, thank you.
you, Steve. We, um, we invited one child to be with us today. We, we really like this model. We like this idea, and we want everybody here to have the chance to do this. And uh, so, so what I want to do is to make this um, a, a public thing right now. Uh, this, is, this is the child that I'm going to be sponsoring. She looks a lot like my granddaughter, which is part of my motivation, I guess. I don't know. But, but uh, this, is, this is the child I'm going to be sponsoring. We're going to give you an opportunity. If you're saying, you know, I think I want to do this, I want to be involved with this, um, I'd like you just to stand right now. And they're going to come hand you some of these kind of, uh, some of these things. And then we're just saying, okay, this is who I'm going to be sponsoring. This is more than just, um, as, as he said, this is more than just money for food and things like that. You have the opportunity, if you desire, you have the opportunity to then write them letters and uh, send them cards and things like that, that, that really connect this, to connect you with them, that they become more than just, um, you know, dollar bills uh, on a monthly kind of thing. And stay standing once you get your, your thing, because we're going to pray. So normally, normally what we would do is we pray for, we have missionary, we pray for our missionary. But in this, in this context, I believe, that you're, I believe that you're part of the missional mentality, that when you're giving to this, you're the missionary at some particular level. You're, you're providing the finances, you're providing the, uh, the, what it takes to get this to these children. And so we want to pray with you and for you guys. So you guys that are sitting down, stand back up. Yes. Don't, don't sit. Um, we, we, want to, we want this to be connected together, okay? So um, let's pray. Let's pray for this. And, and also, if you're saying, well, I haven't made up my mind right now. I want to do this, hopefully through the rest of the message. Um, I make you feel guilty enough that you do want to do this. And then you go out to the display out there and you grab one of these things off the clips uh, that are part of this. And then you start contributing to this too. So let's pray. God, we commit this to you. We commit our support uh, to you, Lord, that you, you put this on our heart. You stir our hearts to do this and that we can, can contribute and can give to you. And the Lord, as we do that, that you're doing something much bigger than the dollars we're, we're contributing every month. You're doing something supernatural, doing something transcendent. And Lord, we pray primarily for the souls of these children. We pray for their souls that they will know you. God, we do want them to be fed. We want them to be taken care of. We want them to be provided for. But Jesus, ultimately, we want to stand with them at your judgment. We want to stand with them as they've been covered with your blood, Jesus, and they belong to you, God. We commit all of this to you. And we thank you. We do thank you for the opportunity to do this. We thank you for one child, what they're doing. We thank you for the chance that we can be a part of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, I am getting a, lo uh, a lot of questions about my uh, my shoulder, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna explain in a lot of detail next week because it can actually be part of my message next week. Yes, I did break my um, clavicle, my shoulder, my um, collarbone, and I was mountain biking, and I will explain all of that next week because. I'm going to use it as part of the message. There was, um, this is just a good illustration of how one bad decision leads to another bad decision that leads to another bad decision. 
And I'm going to show you that in scripture, but I'm also going to give you all of the details about my ride, which I haven't shared. I haven't shared all of them with anybody except my wife. And so uh, I'm going to, I'll explain it next week. Um, how do I feel today? I feel pretty good, actually. Um, the, I haven't taken any medicine the last three days, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. I'm feeling pretty good about my shoulder. Um, please don't touch me, though. So, I, but I do feel good about this. The guys were all praying for me yesterday morning, and I and I just I really do. I I feel comfortable. Um, I'm not I'm not like overly hurting or anything like that right now. So this morning I'm speaking about Jesus coming back, and uh, I, I like to I, I do that throughout the year, different times in different ways. But I like to always do this this time of the year, and and if you've been around here for a handful of years. You'll, you'll know that, um, but I'm specifically wanting to talk about Jesus coming back uh, today because of the next couple of months on the calendar, and I'll explain that. So, so some, a little bit of background I think is important here. In the, in the beginning of what we call the Assemblies of God, which started very quickly after the modern-day Pentecostal outpouring that happened in the early 1900s here in the United States, and then this quickly spread. In fact, the two major places spread. We've been we've been talking about India. These these kids that uh, we're supporting are from Delhi, um, India, and uh, actually one of the simultaneous uh, outpourings of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the 1900s happened in India. Um, that very very strong move of God that happened in India during that time. But but when we talk about um, Pentecostal groups like like our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, or denominations like Foursquare or Church of God or whatever, there were some things that were very consistent with all of them together that, um, that contributed theologically to, to some beliefs that we have now. Okay? And this is, this is not uh, just random beliefs. Th- this is something I think is pretty important. When it comes to what you believe, I have found this for years among Christians is, is Christians will believe this, I believe this, I believe this, and these are theological understandings from Scripture, but they, but they are from different viewpoints historically, and sometimes they contradict each other. And I, I found that to be pretty consistent, actually, throughout the church, is oftentimes what we believe disagrees with something else we believe because we pulled it from three or four different sources or places and haven't really vetted it according to what we really understand about God, Okay. When, when I talk about things like um, the end times or Jesus coming back and specifically the rapture, I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, there, is, there is a belief system that's part of this, not a specific one thing, okay? I, I believe strongly in pre-tribulation rapture. I make that known. And th- that, that is not an isolated thing. That comes from a lot of stuff that we believe that is systematic. It's called systematic theology, and this, these things are systematically laid down. One is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. One is um, one of the, the, the two or three things that were pretty strong in the modern Pentecostal outpouring had to do with the, the belief systems that contributed to all of this, and then the development of what we call some of the denominations in our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, is we had a large holiness movement that, come from, that came from the Puritans of the Northeast, that, that contributed greatly to these thought process. And then, and then also a very strong, um, what we call latter-day rain mentality that was, that's, that was uh, very strong within the, uh, 
the modern Pentecostal outpouring. And that comes specifically from Acts 2, where Peter gets up and says, this is what Joel was talking about. And then he quotes out of Joel 2, where it says, your young men will see uh, visions, your old men will dream dreams, your sons and daughters will prophesy, all that. And that this will be, this will, in the last days, this will be poured out, okay? All these things systematically fit together to say, we believe that Jesus is coming, but we also believe when Jesus is coming, okay? Now, I, I, like I said, I strongly believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, but I always, I always throw this out here because I don't think, I don't think this is a thing that the church should be fighting over, okay? Uh, discussing, debating, there's not a problem with that, but sometimes we fight over end-time events that we can't prove. Uh, now, there are things that the church needs to take a stand and fight over. One is the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ really is God, in equality with God the Father, okay? We need to discuss that, and we need to debate that, but we also need to fight for that. Right? There are different groups out there. For example, Mormons would fall into this group that don't believe that Jesus is God in equality with God the Father. They believe Jesus is God, but they believe God made Jesus, created Jesus. Well, we don't believe that. And that's, that's a big one because that's a salvation issue. Right? I am strongly 100% pre-tribulation rapture until the day after the tribulation starts. And if we're still sitting here, I am 100%, and I can prove it theologically too, by the way. I can prove all three of these. I can prove mid-tribulation rapture, and I will be taking a strong stand for that at that particular point. The day after the tribulation is over, if we're still here, I will be taking a very strong stand on post-tribulation rapture. And I can prove it theologically, right? I mean, I say it jokingly, but you understand what I'm saying. I believe theologically because of a big system of, the, of, of theological beliefs that the, that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, right? And I think some of the things, like what happens at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation and why the Jews are saved then and, and, and become the evangelists and all that stuff, I believe that is, that, that is predicated upon the, the rapture happening before the tribulation. Okay? There's a bunch of things that we see happen through the tribulation that cannot happen unless the church has been raptured first, all right? So that's why I believe that. Some people pick on it and say, well, the, you're one of those guys that, that just think you're, the church is going to escape the wrath. Well, the scripture actually says you will escape the day of wrath, okay? So yes, I do believe that. It's one of the things I hold on to, but that's not the big one for me, all right? I don't, I don't think I'm going to go before the tribulation because Jesus is rescuing me from the bad stuff and I'm, I'm more blessed or something, I believe there is a theological reason and a, and a pragmatic reason that plays into that. Now, with that being said, let's turn to Joel chapter 2. This is, this is right before um, the, the scripture that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 when he says, this is what Joel was talking about. This is what was written in Joel when he talks about, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Okay, He says, Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. And then he says um, that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. All that. Okay. Um, before he says that, he says the trumpet's going to blow. We're going to get to that. So the very first thing. Um, Leviticus chapter 
23, verse 5. I'm going to go all the way down through Leviticus, okay? We're going to go all the way through this. Um, but I'm going to be jumping from Scripture to Scripture. I'm not going to read it all. I would, I would strongly encourage you to read this. In fact, read it right before you go to sleep tonight so that you will dream about the rapture. Okay. You're like, I don't want to dream about the rapture. So, verse 5. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. Passover. We know what Passover is, right? This is the, the feast, the festival that the Israelites had have practiced for, for about 4,500 years now. Right? Every year they have Passover together, and, and practicing Jews still do this today. They have Passover together. What is Passover? It's remembering that when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, and they took the lamb, they killed the lamb, took the blood, and put it over the doorpost, and that's what saved their firstborn from dying. Okay? They were redeemed, rescued out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery, and, and, they, and they celebrate this. But we know this is not just a celebration of what happened because in the Passover, we, we have a Seder uh, dinner here every year in the spring, right, right before Easter, and the, the rainwaters run this for us. And there is a cup that's on the table that is specifically for the Messiah. When he returns, he'll drink that cup. And it's, it's, it's a reminder of this. So it's not just looking back at what they were rescued from. It is prophetically looking forward. Every year, the Messiah is going to come. Sometime in the future, the Messiah is going to come. Now, the problem is, is he did, and the Jews missed it for the most part, right? Okay, on the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. This is, this is Passover. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days, and during that time, the bread you eat must be made <clears throat> without yeast. So now let's go to John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he said this, every Jewish person that was standing all over the place, and he had been baptizing these people, every Jewish person immediately knew he was referencing Passover and the Passover lamb. Immediately they all knew this. This is so much part of their existence. It's ingrained in them. They grow up. These kids are being taught this from very young age. And they are part of the Passover dinner. The kids are the ones who go and try to find the, the, uh, the bread that's been hidden between the other two layers of bread. There's three breads in the packet. The middle one is Jesus between other bread, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and they pull the, the middle one out, and then that one is broken, and that's the, uh, the depiction of the, the breaking of uh, the bread that Jesus says that by his stripes or the breaking of his body, you're healed. They practice this every single year. So when John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, immediately everybody knew he was, he was uh, referencing Passover. He said... <clears throat> He is the one I'm talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Which is interesting because John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin and was born three months before him. But he said, this, this Jesus that you're looking at, he came long before me. He came from before the beginnings of the world. He's the eternal one. 
I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed in Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we saw where Jesus began this when he stepped into the room with the disciples. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember John 3 says that before the Holy Spirit has been with you, but now he will be in you. Very, very, all this stuff is important. It all fits together. He said, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. He is the lamb. He is the Passover lamb. Now, this is important. These are the spring feasts. There's, there's a, a few spring feasts that all happened that signified things, and then there's the fall ones. We'll get to those in a second. But the very first one is Passover. It is not coincidence that Jesus dies on the cross on Passover. This is not... It's, it's the same way when you look at all the prophecies of Jesus coming to this earth. There's no way that all those could be fulfilled. You tell me how Jesus made sure that the Romans came and got him and took him to the cross and crucified him on the very weekend that they celebrate the Passover lamb being sacrificed and the blood put over the doorpost. How did Jesus arrange them to come get him to kill him on that day? This was prophetically fulfilled by the power and the providence of God. That Jesus was sacrificed on the day the lamb was sacrificed. This is not coincidence. Verse 9, Leviticus 23. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This, this whole Leviticus 23 is the calendar for the year. It basically says these are the things you do all year long and these are the days you do them. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. So the beginning of this idea of the very first fruits of the harvest, and I'll explain the harvest in a second, is Jesus dies on the cross, the lamb is sacrificed. Well, I'm putting the two together. The, the beginning of the Passover, then the sacrificing of the lamb, lifting up the, the first fruits, the grain offerings, and this begins the concept and the idea of the Israelites harvesting all summer long. Leviticus 23, verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. The priest will lift up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord, together with the loaves representing the first of your crops. This is the beginning of the harvest. This is the first time they are seeing these crops return. These offerings, which are holy to the Lord, belong to the priest. Fifty days after Passover is when you bring the, the first crops to the Lord and you give those to the Lord. 
What is significant about 50 days after Easter? Easter and Passover the same day. 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Easter is Pentecost. That's when we celebrate Pentecost, and they had been celebrating this for a few thousand years before Acts chapter 2. Now, I, I grew up in Pentecostal church, and I heard this at different times where pastors would say, because it says they were all uh, in the upper room, and, and then uh, it will say that they were all in one accord, or they were all united together. That's what it means. They were the same mind. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. And I've heard pastors say the Lord was waiting on them all to get in one accord. That's not true. Jesus was not waiting on them to get all in unity. They did get unified. They were in unity. But that had nothing to do with what was about to happen. If only one person was paying attention to God and seeking him, then Acts 2 would have said one person was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because what was Jesus waiting on? Jesus was not waiting on them to be in unity, to pour out his spirit. He was waiting for the day called the festival of the beginning of the harvest, or what we call Pentecost. He was waiting for that specific day. And, uh, and Jewish people had gathered from, they, they literally would come from wherever they lived around the world and try to get to Jerusalem for Passover through Pentecost. And they would try to be in Jerusalem during those days. It was pilgrimage mentality. That's why in Acts chapter 2, there were so many different language groups represented in Israel that day. And we read specifically in Acts chapter 2 that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they all began to speak in tongues, and they spoke at least in Acts chapter 2 in at least 16 different languages. Not each one, each person, but 16 different people spoke in 16 different languages that we, that we see specifically mentioned in Acts chapter 2. It's also not coincidence that the day of Pentecost, the day that begins the harvest is when the Holy Spirit is poured out and they spoke in tongues, they spoke in languages around the world. This is not coincidence. The Holy Spirit is specifically designing every single bit of this. In fact, I believe that one of the things <clears throat> I've mentioned many times before, I believe that the, the, when we are praying in tongues or we are praying in the Spirit, that we are being strengthened, and I believe that's how we're being filled. I believe Scripture shows us that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that, that we are strengthened according to chapter 14, that we are being strengthened when we pray in tongues. And I also think that part of this is that we should be being reminded that the reason that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 1 verse 8, is that we are going to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then we are reminded every time we pray in tongues and we are strengthened and the Holy Spirit is empowering us, what is he empowering us for? Primarily, it's to be a witness. It's to verbalize witness and to live as a witness. To where? To everybody around us. How is that reminded of? How are we reminded of that? We're speaking in the languages of the earth. And according to chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, we're also speaking in the languages of heaven. So we're speaking to God, from God, to people, for people. And we're reminded of that every time we pray in tongues. Every time we pray in tongues. We're reminded this is about others. This isn't about you. This is empowering you for others. This is, this is crucial for us as Christians. 
It's crucial for us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This, is one of the, this was one of the motivating factors in the, in the modern Pentecostal outpouring in the, in the early 1900s was we believe we're in the last days. And if you believe you're in the last days, then you should take the gospel to the world. And they, they, there, is already, there had already began about 30 or 40 years earlier, there already began kind of a major thought process of taking the gospel, what we call missionaries in today's mentality, was really starting to be pushed by some different denominations. Now the Holy Spirit empowers them, and we, we set up the, our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, was, was created for the primary purpose of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Look at the charter of the Assemblies of God. Four basic things. One of them was taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and another one was uh, building uh, Bible schools to, imp- to educate people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist. We believe that this is the last days, and guys, it, we, should, we should be believing it more strongly right now than ever before. I'll, I'll give you something that's been happening. Uh, in Israel right now, the, the Jewish leadership has been meeting with Saudi Arabia for a few different reasons. One is to discuss uh, the Gaza Strip and things like that and what parts of land are going to be given over. And, and I, I hate it when they discuss this stuff. It drives me crazy. Those are the Israelite people's land. I don't know why they have these discussions. But it's a caving in mentality. But they're having these discussions right now. But one of the things that they're also discussing, and if you guys remember um, a guy that we brought here about a year ago, Joel Richardson, that his ministry and his partner is based out of Israel. And they, he was talking about this, that, that some of the things that they're meeting about right now that's not necessarily making the news, but it's happening. And also Joel Rosenberg uh, referenced this in his and some of his uh, video stuff is that they are discussing right now, Israel and Saudi Arabia are discussing rebuilding the Jewish temple. And can this be done? Can it be done on the Temple Mount? And they're coming into an agreement that if they do this, it will be a temple that is built for all the nations of the world. And it will be kind of a generic temple, but it will be built by the Israelites on the Temple Mount. You only need one more partner to agree with that. That's Jordan. They own the rights to the temple. They own that. They own the rights. They don't own the land, but they're the ones in charge of that land. They're, that's how it's worked right now. Is is Jordan is the one that's in charge. So we're getting closer. We were discussing this at dinner last night, my son, daughter-in-law, and myself. And uh, my son said, "Isn't that like straight out of the Bible in times?" Yes, that's the reason I'm saying it. That's why I'm saying this out loud. Guys, we are seeing stuff that we have known about for decades because of what Scripture says. I, we're going through Ezekiel right now on Wednesday nights. When I get to, the, to um, chapter 36, 37, 38, 39, I'm going to do a couple of messages on the weekend that have to do with the Battle of Gog and Magog, which happens right before the rebuilding of the temple in the last days. We know that happens. Gog, Magog temple built, right? So we need to be paying attention to this stuff. This is serious stuff. This is end times, and it's not accidental or coincidental. So we see Jesus fulfills Passover, Easter, by dying on the cross on that day. Then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the the feast of the beginning of the harvest, and then you have the summertime, okay? 
Let me, let me read this, uh, the beginning of the harvest mentality out of John chapter 4, verse 34. Then Jesus replied, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, by the way, we are in that time frame right now. We're in the summer. Um, scripturally, we are in this. Okay, I'm, two ways. We are in the summer, literally. But we're scripturally in the time between the first feast being fulfilled by Jesus and the fall feast, which have not been fulfilled yet. Okay? We're in that time frame. All right. He said, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. This is, we're in the harvest time right now. The harvesters are paid good wages And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. I always try to to bring this out. We we have so many preaching and teaching and all this kind of stuff that all the the blessings and the fruits and all this stuff that's supposed to happen to the Christians is all about the Christians. It's all about us. Jesus dies on the cross so I can be blessed, so I can have this, so I can have this, so I can drive a new car, so I can have all these things. I, I think that twists and perverts what Jesus is really trying to say and do. Jesus died on the cross so we could be saved and be made right with God and so we can spend eternity with him. Yes, we do get blessed along the way on this earth because Jesus loves us and does stuff for us, but the the fruit of the harvest is people's souls. It's it's souls of people. It's not not all the stuff we attach to this. Why? I, I need a new house, so... Maybe I can, maybe Jesus will bless me with that. Sure, he can do that. There's no question about that. And that is scriptural, that God does bless us in these ways. But I think we spend so much time chasing after what we call blessings. And the Lord is saying, I, I want you to get out into the harvest. I want you to do what I've called you to do. People's souls are in balance. People's souls, not, not whether we're happy today or not. That's, I really don't think that's a priority of God at all. Happy is so limited and so relative. But somebody's soul, that's in the balance. He says, the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? And you know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And I believe we're living in this right now today. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. I believe there have been many that have gone before us over the last 2,000 years that have set the stage and done the work and gone to the difficult places. We're, we, we've been sending missionaries for years and years to the difficult places. And I believe they have tilled the ground and it is ready and it's starting to grow. And all we have to do is just tell somebody about Jesus. And I believe it. I, I don't think it's that difficult. I, I know that we have been kind of um, so pushed and inundated with this that we really think that most people out there don't want Jesus. I don't believe that. I believe there is a small group of people in our country right now that make a lot of noise that's anti-Jesus. But I don't think that's most people. We were talking about this. I think it was Rick and I were talking about this. I can't remember. But um, I've I've asked to pray for people so many times over the years. And in 30-something years, 30-plus years, I've only had two people ever tell me, no, they don't want me to pray for them. Two. And you know what I said to them? Very politely, I said, well, I'm going to anyway. 
Because why? I'm going to. But two people, thousands of people I have asked that and witnessed to and prayed for over the years, two people. I think Rick said one person has ever said to him, don't pray for me. Guys, it's not, people really want this. They need peace and love and, and, and confidence in their spirit and purpose and, and, and knowing that somebody loves them and loves them unconditionally. People want that just as much as you do. That's why you got saved. They wanted forgiveness. They want this too. And I believe we're in this time frame. Others have already done the work, and now you get to gather the harvest. So now let's go to the fall feast. We've seen where Jesus has fulfilled Passover. He has fulfilled the beginning of the harvest and pouring out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost 50 days after Passover. He fulfilled this on the exact time. That, that, to me, that is mind-boggling how all of that happens exactly like that. It's just a supernatural fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, now let's go to the fall feast. These have not been fulfilled yet by Jesus. Going back to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with loud blasts of a trumpet. Okay? It's not coincidence. None of the spring feasts include trumpets. None of them do. But the fall feasts include trumpets. Okay? This is what we, what the Jewish people today call Rosh Hashanah. Okay? The festival of trumpets or the end of the harvest. And all of this time frame all reinforces the end of the harvest. And this begins with trumpets being blown. In fact, what they do is they go and stand on the hillsides, wherever the community is. And this happens in multiple communities, well, throughout the world, really. And now that everybody is, a lot of the Israelites have come back to Israel, they do this all through Israel during Rosh Hashanah. And they stand on the, the hilltops and they take the big shofars, the, the horns of the animal, and they blow these trumpets all day long, uh, the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, Okay. For, for this year, 2023, this begins September 15th. Okay? That's important. Okay, through the rest of this, the hairs on the back of your neck should start standing up. Okay? This begins this year, September 15th, is when Rosh Hashanah begins. Okay, so now, um, Leviticus 23, verse 26 then the Lord says to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of that same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it as an official day of holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work during that entire day because it is the Day of Atonement when offerings of purification are made for you. The Day of Atonement is when you are being purified, and then what happens next? Making you right with the Lord your God. The day of atonement, a day of making you right with God. What is the way that we see from after the cross that you are made right with God? The blood of Jesus Christ. When you are covered with the blood of Jesus, you are made right with God. And that's the day of your purification or your salvation. That's the term we would use. 
that this is the purification day, the day of atonement. And they practice this every single year for a few thousand years now, about a a little 4,000 years now. They practice this day of atonement, and it is a prophetic reminder that someday Jesus is going to come back and get them, and they are going to be made right with God. This is prophetically practiced year after year after year. Another discussion that we were having last night at dinner is, why why can't the Jews see this? Because they have been blinded to this. They just can't see it. They've been, they, they celebrate Passover every year, which is the Messiah is coming, and he came, and they didn't see it. Um, I've had this discussion with, with, with uh, Jewish people and even a few Jewish rabbis. I'll take them to Isaiah 53, and I'll read that to them, and, I, and I'll say, you don't think that's about the Messiah? No, that has nothing to do with the Messiah. It's the most stark scripture there is. The only thing not in that scripture is the name Jesus. But, but here's the truth. There's, there's, they are celebrating and have been prophetically celebrating the Day of Atonement for, for centuries upon centuries. This is part of the fall feast. This is part of the end of the harvest. All who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. If you don't understand the significance of surrendering yourself to Jesus on the Day of Atonement, you will be cut off from God's people. This is judgment stuff we're talking about. Verse 33. Oh, let me give you the rest of that. So the Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. That's that's the uh, name for it, the Jewish name for this uh, feast and celebration. That begins this year, September 24th, 25th, is Yom Kippur. Those two days are Yom Kippur. So go down to verse 33 of Leviticus 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the 15th day of the appointed month, five days after the Day of Atonement. This festival to the Lord will last for seven days. I think it's not coincidence that the tribulation is seven days and this, this last festival is also seven days. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce of the land. This is the end of the harvest. Right now, we're in the scripture that says, look onto the fields, they're ripe. The harvest is ready now. That's where we are in time. This day is coming when this will be the end of the harvest. And, the, and the, all, the, the, all the harvest has been produced. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. For seven days, you must live outside in little shelters. It's also called the the, uh, Festival of Shelters or the Feast of Shelters, okay? All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind, all of this is done looking backwards and forwards at the same time. This is prophetic. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters where I rescued them from the land of Egypt, This is circling all the way back around to what Passover was about. This is the fall festival, the end of the harvest, 
Passover was the sacrificing of the lamb to actually give us the ability to harvest. Then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the harvest. Now we're in the end. This is the end of the harvest where no more harvesting will be done. <clears throat> it will be finished. And, that, and that, they are, that we're still living in the context of uh, being rescued and the blood of the Lamb put over our household. And this is the reminder of that. I am the Lord your God. First Thessalonians, okay, so that one is <clears throat> the festival of shelters or the end of the harvest. And that happens this year, September 29th through October 6th. So we start September 15th and we end October 6th. That is the time frame of the of the fall festivals, the end of the harvest festivals, and each one of these are signified by the blowing of trumpets the whole time, daily. In fact, on the Day of Atonement, they take the shofars and they blow those, but they also bring out these silver trumpets to give specifically on the Day of Atonement, the two Days of Atonement, they, give the, they blow the silver trumpets because this is a, the majestic day of when we are made right with God. So it deserves... The extra trumpets, the silver trumpets, the only time they do that is on the Day of Atonement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. This is why I believe all of this wraps together. And again, this is why I'm strongly pre-tribulation. Uh, again, don't, don't, if you say, well, I'm just mid-tribulation. I said, who? Or I'm just, okay, that's fine. Um, you have the right or the ability to do that, to say that. Um, just, I just hope the Lord doesn't hold you accountable for that. And you don't get to go until halfway through. <laughs> first Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, first, first Corinthians 15 also, you can look at that. I, 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 I'm not including this this morning. But First Corinthians 15 also talks about that when the, the, uh, pe- the people that are dead in the graves raise, they raise with the, with the uh, blowing of the trumpet. The blowing of the trumpet raises them from the graves. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Now again, here's where, here's where people get, I believe, get confused about the post-tribulation rapture. I believe there is the least amount of scripture for post-tribulation. There is, there is legitimate scripture about mid-trib and pre-trib. But here's where I think people get confused about post-trib is they, they confuse it with the second coming of Jesus. What happens with the second coming of Jesus? Jesus takes, put, plants his feet on this earth, and when he does, the earth trembles and the mountain splits in two and the river flows the other direction. Okay, That's a quick synopsis. You can look that up. But that's what happens at the second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. Here's how we know. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus hasn't stepped onto the earth yet. We're rising to meet him, which is what the the angel said when Jesus was ascending um, right before... uh, Right before Acts chapter 2, right before Pentecost, when the disciples were watching Jesus ascend, this is, this is 10 days before Pentecost, and the angel said, you'll see him come just like this. He's in the clouds at the time when the angels say this, and they say, this is what it will look like when he comes to get you or when you see him again. Then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other's with, each other's, 
each other's with these words. Colossians chapter 2. So don't let it, and this is, this is like the, um, this, is one of the, this is a disclaimer that I want to throw out here. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. This is an important statement because I think the church, we get really overly critical about these kind of things. Quite honestly, most of the American church has no clue of what I've just talked about this morning. No clue. We don't teach it. We don't think about it. We don't process it. Nobody, the church doesn't teach us because most of the new, the church in America's thinking starts in Matthew chapter 1 instead of Genesis 1. And we think New Testament, and every now and then we reference something in the Old Testament because it fits. Instead of realizing that everything in the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a, it's a completion of the Old Testament. You don't have forgiveness of sins just by understanding that Jesus dies on the cross in the New Testament. Why does he die on the cross? Why is his blood poured out? Why is that important? Because it shows us in the Old Testament that to be forgiven of sins, you have to have blood sacrifice. That's why Jesus is the blood sacrifice. Because we understand this. But then he says right here, um, Paul says in Colossians, don't, don't pick on them too much if they don't celebrate all the feasts and festivals. Don't pick on them too much. And we have to be careful of that in the church. I, I think sometimes we, we pick on each other too much because this, this person sees this. Or, this is what I was talking about about the, um, about the rapture. I think, I think the church fights over this stuff too much. It's not, it's, it's not fight worthy. It's, it'll all be figured out. We'll all know. We'll all know the very day, day one of the tribulation. We'll know who was right, who was wrong. Won't we? Right? I mean, it's, it's going to be me. but He says, don't condemn them. If they're not doing the celebration, they don't get it. Okay, don't condemn them. For these rules, and this is the important part. This is crucial. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. These things are shadows. Paul explains this very clearly in in 1 Corinthians 13. The point is not necessarily all the shadows are looking through the glass darkly. It's the love of Christ that propels us toward him. We've got to get the big picture. Jesus died on the cross. Are there all these things that are important? I believe that they are. And here's where my statement comes in. And this is This is what I say every year. I believe this 100% completely, okay? I believe Jesus fulfilled the Passover, Pentecost, all this stuff on very specific days, on the exact day, not kind of, but on the exact day, okay? I believe that the same thing is going to happen in the fall. I believe Jesus is going to come back in the fall of the year, not necessarily this year, don't, don't misquote me on this. Um, not necessarily this year, although betting against Jesus coming back specifically is mentioned in Scripture is a bad idea. He says, as soon as you say it, he's not, that's when he's going to show up. Years ago, I prayed this. God, I don't believe you're coming. I don't believe you're coming. Because I really wanted him to come back that year. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way either. But I believe that the rapture will take place in the fall. So the question always comes up, what about the Scripture that says no man knows the day or the hour? This is the interesting thing between the fall feast and the spring feast. The spring feasts are specific days. The fall feast is a time frame. 
And scripture also tells us, just like a sailor can look at the horizon and know what weather is coming, so are Christians supposed to be studying and knowing what's coming. I believe that the time frame of the rapture for this year is September 15th to October 6th. Now, that should do some things. It should propel us forward. It should, it should prompt us. It should convict us. First, get your life right. Okay? If something's not right, get it right. The second thing is, the people that you've been planning on witnessing to, witness to them. What if this is the year? Witness to them. It's important. That should be propelling. Now, here's the fear of this, is on October 7th, you're like, whoo, we got a whole other year. That is a bad idea. Here is my disclaimer for that. I could be wrong about all this. Right? He may come back on December 25th, and that really is not his birthday. That's his return day. Who knows? So there you go. So why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> As I, I really do believe this, and I believe that the Scripture is there to show us these things. I believe that these are scriptural shadows to show us that Jesus Christ is coming and even give us the time frame of when he's going to do this. Because why? I believe Jesus loves us enough to not only warn us he's coming, but give us the time frame. He, he did all the rest. He fulfilled all the rest. So here's what I think we should be doing. And this makes, to me, this is common sense. Where do we go from here? I think the first thing we do is we repent. Just repent. You say, I'm already a Christian. Okay? Then repent. And then also, Lord, send us. Send us. We're, we're, we're within a week and a half of the beginning of this time frame. I think that's pretty serious. Especially if this is the year. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you knowing that we need you, Jesus. The only way we can be made right with God is through you, Jesus. The day of atonement for us demands your blood, your, for, your forgiveness. Lord, that that pulls us to God the Father. We thank you for this. So we ask you to forgive us. Wash us clean. We repent of anything, Lord, that is not okay with you. Repent of any thoughts or attitudes or directions of life, any sin that is taking us in, in a direction that is away from you. Lord, we want to serve you, we want to know you, and we want to be standing with you, Jesus, at the judgment. Lord, we know that, that, is, that that's possible for every person on the planet. So Lord, first we ask you to forgive us. And help us to take this message to the people around us, Lord, in our workplaces, our neighbors, our family. God, maybe we pick up the phone tonight and call somebody. Jesus, we want them to know you. It's too important. And I don't want to take it for granted. Lord, these little children we're going to be supporting and sponsoring. God, more important than, than even the food or anything else they get, Lord, open their hearts for you right now. People in different countries around the world, open their hearts to see you right now. Lord, so many Muslims are coming to know you right now. 
we thank you for that. Let, the, let your Holy Spirit move powerfully through the Muslim communities across the world. Lord, we pray for every place on the planet. We ask you to help us to talk to the people here and, and to finance people going around the world. God, we believe in that here. Help us anoint us, use us. And we know that the fruit of the harvest is souls. Forgive us, wash us clean, convict us, and send us into the harvest. Lord, that tomorrow we witness to somebody, Tuesday we witness to somebody, we pray for somebody. Lord, help us not to just make this about us. You didn't just die for us. In Jesus' name. I'm going to change this just a little bit. Before noon on September 15th, Jesus is going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. And between September 15th and October 6th, you're going to be telling people about Jesus. Believe it. Um, Let's take it serious. Let's let's have an urgency in our spirit. God will honor that in our life. It's a guarantee. So be sure and talk to the one child guys. Um, look at the look at the display. Maybe pull one of those off of there, and uh, begin supporting one of those children. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.